It's Friday, July 7th, 2023. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is the Pennsylvania Legacies Podcast. I'm Josh Rollerson. Pennsylvania officially joined the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, REGI, last year. But the state hasn't yet begun participating in the 12-state carbon market. That's because courts are still considering the constitutionality of Pennsylvania's REGI program, initiated at the direction of former Governor Tom Wolf. The case currently stands before the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania. If that court were to strike down Wolf's policy, it'll fall to his successor, Josh Shapiro, to determine whether or not to appeal to the state's Supreme Court. Governor Shapiro has said addressing climate change is one of his top priorities. But at the same time, it's not clear exactly how Reggie might figure in that agenda. Candidate Shapiro was ambivalent on the campaign trail, and he hasn't commented directly on the matter since taking office. However, Shapiro's first budget proposal back in February included more than $600 million in projected revenues from the sale of carbon allowances, a sign that, if nothing else, he hasn't taken Reggie entirely off the table. Meanwhile, the governor's office says whatever path he does take, in addition to reducing carbon emissions from power generation, will also have to ensure the availability of good jobs in the energy sector, while protecting consumers from rising energy costs. Exactly how effective Reggie would be in meeting those goals has been hotly debated over the last few years, and existing research has mostly pointed to mixed conclusions. However, a lot has changed since those earlier studies were published, including, notably, the rising price of natural gas, and in particular, a massive investment of federal dollars into clean energy. And as Governor Shapiro considers his next move, several new studies have come out that paint a much clearer picture of Reggie's probable impact on Pennsylvania's economy and its carbon footprint. This month on the podcast, we're going to take a close look at two of these recent analyses. The first is from the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania, and it provides updated estimates of how quickly Reggie gets us to net zero, examines the potential to rapidly scale up renewables, and considers the likely effect on energy costs. The second report from Ceres and Evergreen Action zooms in on those costs, both in terms of consumer impacts and of potential missed opportunities to leverage federal funding that's contingent on Reggie participation. Now, this is a huge body of research, and it's going to take more than one episode to unpack it all. But having said that, all the evidence points to the same conclusion. Reggie checks all the boxes. The sooner Pennsylvania begins offering carbon allowances on the Reggie market, the better this transition will go for workers, ratepayers, and the climate. Before we get into that new research, though, let's take a moment to recap how we got here, where things stand, with PEC's Senior VP for Legal and Government Affairs, John Walliser. John, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Give me a, a succinct recap of everything that's happened with Reggie over the past, let's say, year. <laughs> succinct recap. So, I mean, the truth is we're still waiting for the courts to decide. Um, there are a couple of different issues at play. One over the fact that the court enjoined the rule in the first instance and then also sort of to the merits, if you will, the substance of the rulemaking itself and whether 
there was proper statutory legal authority for the Department of Environmental Protection to promulgate the rule in the first place. Um, we're still waiting for the courts to decide. I mean, it's possible that the injunction could get thrown out, and then I, I, I imagine we would begin participating in Reggie, but there's still the unresolved question of, is it a tax or a fee? Is that right? Uh, there's a couple of different issues. Tax versus fee is one of them. But yeah, you're correct. Okay, so there is, uh, there is going to be a Commonwealth Court decision at some point. We have no idea really when that might happen. We don't know when that might happen. We don't know if, uh, because there have been arguments now in front of the Supreme Court on the injunction issue. We don't know if the Supreme Court's going to just step in. It's, it's, a, it's a big question mark. There is an outside possibility the Supreme Court could just decide the whole case on the merits, uh, go above and beyond just deciding on the injunction. And then that would basically invalidate the Commonwealth Court process. That would just be over. It would essentially just be expediting the decision of okay. the Supreme Court. Okay. But probably more likely we're going to get a decision from the Commonwealth Court. And then it's on the governor to decide what happens next. That's correct. Well, it it's ultimately depends on how the Commonwealth Court decides. So if the um, Commonwealth Court rules against the Commonwealth, the governor and the Department of Environmental Protection, it will be their decision as to whether they want to appeal that decision or not. In the same vein, if the decision's in the favor of the Commonwealth and the governor, it would be up to the challengers to decide if they want to appeal. But the, the governor that would then be defending the Commonwealth's position in that challenge. Right. Okay, let's get into tea leaves then, <laughs> if you don't mind. Josh Shapiro said a lot of things about Reggie during the campaign. Some of them were kind of pro, some of them were kind of skeptical, and that's led a lot of people to a place of kind of uncertainty about where he stands and the decision's going to be forced one way or another. But the other thing that's happened in, in 2023 is the inclusion of projected Reggie revenues in the governor's budget proposal. As we record this, the budget is, well, maybe you can tell me, close to <laughs> close to being resolved? We, we think. Um, yeah, there, there are still ongoing conversations in Harrisburg as to the actual budget legislation itself. And then every year, the the budget bill, if you will, is usually accompanied by a few other pieces of legislation that are necessary with respect to certain uh, codes. Um, we're still waiting to see if any of those are going to move as well. So does this process tell us anything new about you know, considering the, the inclusion of the Reggie revenues in the governor's proposal? Is there any new information or any new you know, conclusions to be drawn? No, I don't think so. The governor had started a process to look into the Reggie rulemaking, what the benefits could be for Pennsylvania, how they might implement it in a way that would be advantageous, you know, not just from an environmental perspective, but also from a community and work, workforce uh, perspective. Um, you know, since the election in, in November, um, there have been a couple of big changes. We've seen, we've started to see the rollout of federal dollars um, from both the Infrastructure Reduction Act as well as IIJA. Um, and we're starting to learn more about how states can position themselves in a favorable way to take the most advantage of those resources. And one of those would be, you know, having money come in through Reggie. Um, to supplement whatever would, we could avail ourselves at the federal level. The other big thing is uh, the federal and uh, the Environmental Protection Agency's announcement of a, a federal rule on, on carbon emissions. Um, that really levels the playing field. You know, there was a lot of concern about what 
Pennsylvania's participation might be in REGI relative to other neighboring states, even though a lot of our neighboring states are in REGI and have been successfully for years. But there have been some concerns about that. That has now essentially been, um, in a way, taken care of because EPA is going to raise the floor. Um, so other states that even those that aren't contemplating REGI are going to have to start reducing their carbon dioxide emissions from the electric generation sector. So it really sort of turns the lens to REGI as a favorable way to get at that issue. And so this kind of diminishes the concern around leakage. Is that the, is that the right term for what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's the term that like, that's gets thrown around um, about the possibility of generation leaving Pennsylvania and locating in other states. Although it's been stated often, but we actually haven't seen it. So, for example, there hasn't been, uh, you know, new coal, new natural gas showing up right across the border in Ohio, West Virginia. There actually hasn't been in many, many years. Okay, so everybody's essentially, it comes down to everybody's essentially waiting to see what the governor's going to do pending the outcome of these two legal challenges. Everyone's waiting to see what the courts will do, and then we'll look and see what the uh, challengers and or defendants are going to do. Okay, but the administration has made some statements about what its overarching goals are for decarbonizing the power sector. What, what are those, and what do supporters of Reggie, including PEC, need to show to satisfy the administration's criteria as those have been laid out so far? Yes, the governor's laid out three criteria. The first is reducing emissions. The second is ensuring that there are good jobs in the clean energy sector and resulting from decarbonization. And the third is protecting consumers. You know, in our view, Reggie ticks all of those boxes. Again, we think that's only been strengthened by what's happened with the federal investment um, opportunities as well as the what's commonly referred to as the 111D rule from the pending 111D rule from the Environmental Protection Agency. So I think it's as much about the administration thinking about what the implementation opportunities are, what are some of the complementary policies, whether those are existing or uh, need to be created that could work in tandem with something like Reggie. It's an extraordinarily complex set of issues. Uh, there are a lot of different players to it. I think we are going to start to see in Harrisburg heading into the fall, both from the General Assembly and from the administration, more thinking towards a more comprehensive energy decarbonization strategy. Like This is an issue we need to deal with. How do we do that? So at the moment, it's, we're in the preview stage. Okay. So and all of this is kind of setting up the conversations that we're, we're about to have on this podcast, looking at some of the recent research, uh, economic modeling, and what happens with Pennsylvania in versus out of Reggie. Um, and obviously, we'll get into that. But I'm wondering what your big takeaways are from what you've seen of, uh, you know, research that's come out recently. Yeah, it's been encouraging for us. And we're very glad this happened because, um, you know, when the modeling was done, not only by the Department of Environmental Protection, but others, when the rulemaking was being developed and when it was being finalized, you know, that was a snapshot in time. Very different time now. Uh, you know, again, the federal dollars, the EPA, the forthcoming EPA rule, it really paints a different picture as to how Reggie can be a benefit to Pennsylvania. John Wallace, our Senior Vice President for Legal and Government Affairs with the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. Thanks for your time. Thank you. On to the research. 
In May, the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy at Penn published a report in collaboration with Resources for the Future, a nonprofit think tank focused on environmental and energy policy. We're joined now by two of its authors, Angela Pachon and Maya Domashek. Welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Before we get into the study, could you each say a few words about your respective organizations, about Kleinman and RFF, and uh, what led to this collaboration? Sure, I can, I can start. I'm the research director of the Climate Center for Energy Policy, and at the Climate Center, one of our objectives is really to uh, first educate the future leaders in the energy sector, but also to provide uh, research to inform the public and policymakers about the most uh, prominent issues on energy policy. So I'm a research associate at RFF. RFF is Resources for the Future. It's a nonpartisan environmental economics think tank based out of Washington, D.C. And we do analysis about state and federal policy. Uh, I primarily work on electricity sector modeling. And uh, given the, the large experience of RFF and uh, one of our co-authors, Dallas Bortro, in this study, carbon markets internationally and here in the U.S., we thought there would be this opportunity to, to make this study so that we can contribute to this debate. I mean, this is a long-term debate that is, is not new, but we saw since this is in the court and the governor has to make a decision at some point of depending on, on the court decision, we thought there would be this opportunity to review with the new information because we have to consider that in the past, I mean, this has been thoroughly studied, this topic and about the cost and benefits of Pennsylvania joining veggie. But we thought there would be like different factors and that's why we decided we the experience that RFF has in this area. And uh, uh, as the Climate Center, we wanted to provide this information and have more recent and very objective study. As you said, this is a, a long-running debate, a lot of history, and certainly a lot of research has gone into it already. Could you, you sort of summarize what the existing body of research indicates about Pennsylvania participation? And Reggie, I realize that is a really big question, but broad outlines, what was the picture that had been painted prior to a couple of years ago? So a number of studies had been conducted on this uh, in 2019, 2020, 2021, there was one commissioned by the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection, one performed by Penn State, and one performed here at RFF, actually. And at the time, those studies had indicated that if Pennsylvania joined Reggie, the state would see lower emissions and there would be lower emissions nationally. There was some debate about how much leakage would occur as a result of the state joining Reggie. Um, and those studies also indicated that if Pennsylvania joined REGI, there would only be a small impact on electricity bills, but there would be some kind of impact. And most of the studies really emphasized that, you know, the biggest uncertainty around the impact of REGI was going to be how the state would use the revenue from the program. So, uh, for example, the RFF study looked at how the state could use the revenue from the program to reduce leakage, and uh, some of the other studies had looked at how the state could use the revenue to promote the growth of renewables or to insulate consumers. So there had been a lot of focus on this question of what to do with revenue. Generally speaking, 
I think at the time, most of the studies agreed that joining Reggie would lead to a decrease in fossil emissions in Pennsylvania, but it didn't really seem like joining Reggie would have much of an impact on renewables growth in Pennsylvania. Uh, and so several studies, uh, both the Penn State one and the RFF one, pointed out the necessity of maintaining the AEPS and the sort of the complementarity of those two programs. So when you look at what's changed since those studies were produced, why did those need to be updated? What new information had to be factored in? Well, I think there are two big things that have changed since 2020. One, gas prices are kind of different than they were at that time. They're higher now because of the war in Ukraine. And then more importantly, the federal government has passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is providing large numbers of subsidies for renewable generation and also especially for renewable generation in locations that are in the process of getting rid of their fossil generation. So the sort of energy communities bonuses. So now there's all this potential revenue from the federal government that could subsidize renewables and could make it cheaper and easier for Pennsylvania to comply with REGI when they join. And so the purpose of the study then was to you know account for those, those new factors and update the projections. What questions were you seeking to answer with this update? What were the assumptions that had to be built in? So we were hoping to think again about what Reggie would mean for emissions in Pennsylvania and nationally. And we were hoping to learn what joining Reggie would mean for allowance prices, that is the price of buying a permit to comply with the program in Reggie. And then we wanted to know about the impact on electricity prices, because that's something that's come up over and over again in the debate around joining Reggie. And we wanted to know about the impact on what would be built in the state? Because if we think there are a lot of new subsidies for renewables, maybe the program is going to have a different effect on the generation mix in Pennsylvania than the prior studies indicated. I may add that in terms of jobs, because previous studies, they went to model uh, the jobs considering the use of the revenues for the state and how they're going to be used and how that will impact jobs. In our case, we didn't model jobs but we we provide in this report some observations since this is gonna has been an area of much debate about uh, what would be the job situation for this sector and uh, that's why we i mean we didn't model those but we provide some observations and especially considering the, the amount of renewables that the model is is the results of the models are showing so, and of course, the broader context is a legal challenge to Pennsylvania's participation in Reggie. Meanwhile, uh, we're kind of waiting to see what direction Governor Shapiro is going to take. But there have been some hints as to what he's looking for. And I think that's what you know a lot of people are watching. You've already talked about some of them. I'm interested in how, how this study informs the question of, for starters, as you said, reducing emissions is a big thing for the governor as you'd expect. Um, he also talks about jobs and he talks about consumer impacts. So starting with the first of those, I mean, really the, the reason for doing something like this, what will the impact be on carbon emissions in Pennsylvania, uh, looking beyond Pennsylvania through the PGM region and, and even nationally? We modeled two different versions of Reggie. We modeled a version where, well, we really modeled four different versions. We modeled two different rates of decline for Reggie. So the Reggie program going to zero in 2050 and the Reggie program going to zero in 2040. 
And then we modeled Pennsylvania either in or out of either of those two programs. And what we found was that when Pennsylvania is in the Reggie program, there are much lower emissions in Pennsylvania than when it's outside of the program. And that's because it leads to a much more rapid decrease in generation at fossil plants in Pennsylvania than would have happened if it were outside the program. We also find while some of that decrease in emissions in Pennsylvania is made up for by an increase in the emissions in the rest of Reggie, which is what you would expect when you have a cap and trade program for a whole region, overall US emissions are going down. And that's that's really what matters. That's like the global scale for this context. Pennsylvania emissions are going down, US emissions are going down. So the program is doing what it's set out to do. And I may I may add that even in this case, we for emissions specifically, we did the model at the time we did it, we did not consider any regulation from the EPA that has been coming lately. Therefore, uh, I mean, the model does not consider that. But in considerations about leakage, I think that is going to be a big game changer because these regulations affect coal power plants all around the country. It's not just Pennsylvania. And, and leakage happens when, I mean, these coal power producers may move to neighboring states, but these neighboring states are going to be facing also these EPA regulations and they are all in the same uh, sort of situations and in terms of, I mean, having to comply with already some regulations and the new proposed ones. So that, that, in, in our view, may minimize also the leakage, uh, which is that, like emissions in, in neighboring states. I wanted to ask, given what you're talking about, the assumption has been for a long time that coal-fired power generation is, is on its way out regardless of what happens. The EPA factor in this is, is recent enough that you weren't able to fully grapple with it in this study. Nevertheless, from what you've seen, does Reggie affect that trajectory one way or another? Does the decline of coal speed up even more if Pennsylvania is participating? Yeah, I think, as you said, even without Reggie, the trend that we are seeing is that the, the closure of coal power stations, obviously, the, uh, the speed without Reggie will be, uh, is to be seen on, on the implementation of these EPA regulations. But right now, there are many of these plants that are not scheduled to close because of the economic conditions of, of these power plants that, uh, I mean, are very, uh, they are difficult to compete with uh, gas and, and, uh, and renewables that are coming on a, a even, more subsidized than they were before because we're having the EPA. So if those renewables get to be built, then that closure is going to be accelerated. So that trend is happening, but we see that there are, uh, uh, I mean, concerns at PGM about that speed. And that's something also like, I mean, we're, we are waiting to see what is going to happen. Also, for example, for capacity markets, when now that the auction is delayed. So there are going to be uh, uh, whether these plants will keep operating just for the sake of, of waiting the renewables coming. But uh, long term, and our study, as like it's the projects up to 2030, is clearly that many of these closures are happening. So, uh, and if they join Reggie, and I let Maya explain more what our model found, 
it's uh, obviously there's an acceleration. As Angela said, you know, coal plants are shutting down already because they can't compete in cost with gas and renewables and because they have a lot of co-pollutants that cause public health harms and people know that and there are EPA regulations that are attempting to deal with that fact. So the, the you know, the coal plants are closing. I think what joining Reggie does for this situation is that it accelerates the the decrease in generation at those coal plants and it prevents backsliding. So if, for example, there's a big increase in electricity demand in Pennsylvania going forward, and you know those who are hoping to electrify the economy are certainly hoping for that increase in demand, you could imagine coal plants could ramp up to meet that demand. But if you have a program like Reggie, that's sort of a backstop to keep to keep pr- the plants from going, oh, never mind, actually, we would like to stay online. We don't want to retire after all. I think even though we see a lot of these retirements happening anyway, it's important to understand the backstop function that Reggie provides for the coal plants and also the long-term function it may provide in uh, helping the gas plants also decrease their generation. And the certainty, no? That, yeah, that they, they are going to close because so far without Reggie, as Maya said, an investor may think that there may be an opportunity, but with with Reggie, there's there's going to be way more certainty that the investment should go to either renewables or or even gas. One of your big findings, I think, was to do with the marginal cost of reducing emissions, seemingly lower than had been previously assumed. Why is that? Well, it's two things. One is that it's cheaper to build renewables now than it used to be, so it's cheaper to comply with the program. The other is that there are a lot of potential emissions reductions in Pennsylvania. There are a lot of low-cost emissions reductions in Pennsylvania. It's, it's relatively easy to turn down a coal plant and slightly turn up a gas plant. Uh, and that means that you know the entirety of the Reggie region now has low-cost emissions reductions available, and so the allowance price for the whole region is a lot lower. In the other states in the region, some of those low-cost emissions reductions have already occurred. So without Pennsylvania, the rest of the Reggie region has a higher marginal cost of abatement than with Pennsylvania in the region. Maya, you mentioned sort of ancillary benefits of reducing emissions overall uh, for air quality, and which obviously has public health implications. Could you elaborate a little bit more, explain why that is and whether there are other non-climate-specific you know, climate specific benefits to be reaped in terms of uh, air quality and public health in the Reggie scenario? Yeah, absolutely. So Coal plants are major producers of SO2 and NOx, which on top of being rather unpleasant in and of themselves, can form secondary uh, fine particulate matter as they travel through the atmosphere. And as we know, fine particulate matter is really one of the most dangerous pollutants. Uh, it's, It's a major cause of premature mortality. So reducing the generation at coal plants has has an immediate health benefit from reducing the amount of fine particulates that people are going to be breathing. There are also, you know, other pollutants associated with coal, mercury, you know, leaching from coal ash, et cetera. Uh, but the fine particulates are the thing that are often easiest to quantify. Uh, so that's that's a major non-climate benefit of joining the program. So when we look at the governor's criterion that whatever decarbonization policy he pursues needs to create and support 
good jobs for Pennsylvanians. Uh, how does your study answer that question? How do we expect employment to be affected in the various scenarios that you modeled? We're assuming some jobs will be lost at coal-fired plants. To what degree will those be offset potentially? And, you know, again, recognizing that a lot of this hinges on decisions made about what to do with the revenues. But what are you expecting to see uh, by way of job creation and retention? Uh, I may, I may uh, clarify that the, we didn't model jobs particularly from, 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 for this study, but we have some job observations considering that the results that we have about the, the share of generation and the amount of renewables. So yeah, in terms of jobs, there's going to be obviously job losses and in the uh, coal power sector because of this closure that we just spoke about it. And, um, but at the same time, I mean, this is not a new trend in Pennsylvania. Already the renewable sector among the power generation jobs is the most important sector and in, in, in terms of job, uh, wind and solar are, are, I mean, among the, the generators are the most that those that put more jobs for the state. So this trend will continue. And, and this job creation is going to be uh, quite large, especially because of all the uh, all the subsidies coming from the Inflation Reduction Act and and uh, the incentives to build this new uh, renewable capacity. So there is, uh, I mean, and and there has been this tremendous debate about like, I mean, you're, you're killing the this industry. And um, this industry, I mean, in terms of power generation for fossil fuel, I mean, the impact in at the state level is minimal because jobs for the uh, power generation from fossil fuels represent less than 0.1% of all the employment in the state. So if there are going to be a reduction, on, on especially from the coal power sector, we can see that this may not be material. So that's from when the, the jobs on the coal power generation, then there's also like, oh, you're going to kill the gas industry because, I mean, Pennsylvania is such a gas producer and uh, you basically this may act as a tax for gas. And uh, the truth is that only 11% of the gas produced in Pennsylvania goes for electricity production. So that means that the large demand for gas from Pennsylvania gas comes from other sources. And uh, in fact, 70% of the gas produced in Pennsylvania is exported out of the state. So the drivers of Pennsylvania gas is not the electricity produced in Pennsylvania. It's going to be other factors like the demand for LNG, for example, in, at the international level, is going to be also the rate of electrification in all our, across the U.S. Because that's, I mean, the, the, this replacement of gas, that's where it's happening. It's, it's, it's not on, on the internal Pennsylvania consumption. And also the demand for this gas going to these petrochemical industries like and, and other sources. So and we, we can see that, I mean, because joining Reggie and perhaps having the closure of these power plants in terms of jobs is not, we, we can foresee, even if we didn't model, that is not material. 
On the other side, we it's not material for the state, but for local communities, is going to be very important, especially for the coal communities. I mean, these are going to be job losses, very localized. And these are, I mean, I the governor wanted also a just and equitable transition. And I think with Reggie, there is this opportunity to spend the revenue that the state may get on these communities and, and uh, making sure that this energy transition I mean, they can benefit and there's going to be, there's going to be all this job creation in the renewable sector. And there is opportunities for these workers to transition to these new industries and that they are ineffective. Uh, I mean, either the compensation or make sure that the Inflation Reduction Act provides many opportunities also for, for coal communities. So the state has a role on attracting those resources and making like perhaps like this that this investment happens here in in these communities let's look at that then the the upside potential which as you said you know early on is one of the big revelations here that with inflation reduction act money in the mix now there's a lot more potential to expand and and scale up renewables uh, a lot quicker than people were expecting. Could you uh, tell me more about that and, and how it would affect employment, particularly, as you said, in, in communities that have been affected by job losses connected to, to coal generation? Yeah, there are very specific, um, in terms of, of renewable generation, well, there are going to be uh, producer incentives, really just for the creation of this, uh, to setting investments on, on renewable production. So that's one side, and that's at the national level. That's not just Pennsylvania. But if there is a, a clear signal, and for example, a clear signal could be joining Reggie, that they may be where these coal power plants, all these interconnections are ready, investors may get used them in some way, because right now there is this really delay on, on trying to get, and there's this long queue in, in PJM for all these renewables to come along. And so, yeah, if if those renewables get to be built in the next five years, they may get all these subsidies. That's one point. Then there is also for clean industries to be located near coal communities. All these clean industries, and we're going to see a lot of, of industries for battery manufacturing, and if those can get to be located in Pennsylvania, these producers can get some benefits if they are located within those communities. But that means like, I mean, making the state attractive, and when I say attractive, is like this workforce is qualified for these new challenges then. Perhaps, obviously, now it's very focused on coal industry. Start to think of how to do this transition. I mean, having this workforce that can participate on these investments obviously makes the investment more attractive. Well, I think that probably gets to the question of how are revenues reinvested, and that's sort of the big um, question mark in, in everybody's research. That's unknown. But first, could you enumerate some more possibly indirect effects on job markets in Pennsylvania? You mentioned batteries. Are there other ways in which uh, a rapidly expanding renewable sector kind of brings other industries or sectors along with it? Is that something you looked at? 
Hey, well, no, we didn't look at that, but it's obviously when studying the Inflation Reduction Act, it's uh, like the possibilities is also producing like clean hydrogen. There's and there's gonna be an opportunity. Uh, also, uh, the EPA is mandating carbon capture and storage for gas power plants. And those plants can get subsidies from from installing this carbon capture and storage if they if if they do it on a in the timeline of the I think next uh, ten years. So those are also subsidies. And when I say subsidies, those subsidies attract investment, and those investment create jobs. And so the Inflation Reduction Act goes to all these areas. It's just beyond renewable energy. Another slice of the power portfolio in Pennsylvania that has been struggling due to market conditions and other factors is is nuclear, right? Whereas with coal, joining Reggie accelerates the decline of coal. With nuclear, maybe the other direction. Can you talk about nuclear plants that you know might have like a little bit of a longer lifetime? Are we even possibly looking at? new investments in next generation nuclear power generation going forward. A lot of the earlier studies on Reggie in Pennsylvania focused on the impact of Reggie on nuclear because there's a lot of concern about nuclear retirement. And in fact, the RFF study from 2019 focused a lot on keeping nuclear online using Reggie. Uh, that's a little bit less of a concern now because the IRA and the IIJ provide subsidies to keep existing nuclear plants online because the federal government thinks of that as a priority for maintaining the existing clean generation sources. Those nuclear tax credits are actually a little bit adjustable based on how much revenue the nuclear plant is receiving. So I think Reggie is going to keep the nuclear help keep the nuclear plants online, but the federal government was also going to try to help maintain that. So I don't think Reggie is playing a make or break role in the maintenance of existing nuclear plants now, thanks to that federal investment. As to whether there will now be new nuclear plants in Pennsylvania, we didn't represent new nuclear plants in our model. But, you know, it is worth noting that the tax credits from the IRA, you know, they're technology neutral, so they could apply to any type of zero emissions technology. And, you know, having an you know, a clear policy signal in Pennsylvania that the state is planning to go to zero emissions electricity could lead to investment in other types of zero emissions technologies. But I mean, presumably solar and wind will be the principal ones going forward since they're so well tested and well subsidized. Angela, you mentioned the need for a skilled workforce in Pennsylvania to to kind of make this leap. I'm curious about resources that Reggie might be able to unlock to, to make that transition a little bit smoother for some communities. Again, recognizing these are decisions that, that would be made in the future, but looking maybe to the example of other states that are already within Reggie, what might we expect by way of opportunities to support things like you know retraining or employment security, I guess, for people in communities that would otherwise be negatively affected? Yeah, that's that's a good point because it gets to how the, the revenues from trade are going to be spent. And from the studies that have been uh, undertaken from other trade states, and these revenues could definitely help, first of all, the bills to reduce the bill impact for, for ratepayers. 
But in some more larger state, like some of these programs for retraining have happened with uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. This is something that so many states are looking at right now and how to do it. So they have also expanded revenues on energy efficiency. And it seems that, uh, I mean, energy efficiency and uh, retrofitting of buildings, this is one of a major job creation uh, alternative because this not only reduced energy bills, but at the same time, the amount of, of workforce required is, is huge. And uh, precisely right now, there is a, a shortage and that shortage is making like a very high cost for doing these retrofittings, especially in low-income communities. So that's something that the revenues could have a very clear case to create uh, jobs, but also alleviating the cost for low-income communities. If we could shift to looking at the governor's other major priority for decarbonization, and that's protecting consumers and ratepayers, what does your study suggest, Reggie, participation for Pennsylvania, how that would affect energy costs for utility customers here? Uh, do we differentiate between the, the supply cost and the actual retail price that people are paying when they open their electric bill? How do the various Pennsylvania in, out of Reggie with different declining cap rates compare with the non-Reggie scenarios uh, at that level in terms of just like cost to consumers? Yeah. So, you know, as you've indicated, a, a major concern of Pennsylvania politicians has been that joining Reggie would raise electricity rates. Uh, and I think, you know, people have often looked at the current uh, allowance prices in Reggie and the current electricity mix that the state has and assumed that if you know the state were going to end up paying the current allowance prices and maintain its current electricity mix, that consumers would see an increase in their rates. Uh, but that's not really the right way to think about it because when Pennsylvania joins Reggie, first of all, the allowance prices change, as we discussed earlier, uh, because you know it's easier to reduce emissions in Pennsylvania than it is to reduce emissions in the rest of Reggie on average. Um, and then the generation mix changes over time as a result of being in Reggie. So, you know, because we have this policy signal saying, you know, you have to reduce fossil emissions, maybe it's time to increase generation from cleaner sources, the generation mix gets cleaner and overall, and over time, the impact of the allowance price gets smaller. And in fact, the electricity mix can get cheaper than it would have been in the absence of Reggie. So in particular, in our modeling, we found that in the case where Reggie continues to decline at 3%, electricity rates in 2030 are about 1% higher than they would have been in the absence of Reggie. But we found that in the case where the program goes to zero more rapidly, zero by 2040, then actually the electricity rates are slightly lower in 2030 than they would have been in the absence of Reggie, uh, close to you know minus 0.6%. So I think kind of what that tells us is, first of all, the impact is really small. And second of all, that there, there's a real potential for cleaning up the electricity sector to reduce electricity rates in the long run, especially because of the existence of the IRA, which is bringing in so many subsidies to the state, you could in the long run see rates fall if the program moves faster. 
But as you also indicated, it's useful to differentiate between rate impacts and bill impacts. So even if we find that in some cases, electricity rates could go up by 1%, which is pretty small, the impact on bills could be different. The state could decide to devote some of the revenues from the program to directly reducing electricity bills for consumers. That would be so even if the rate went up, your bill could go down because there could be a subsidy on it. Alternatively, the state could devote some of the revenue to energy efficiency programs that would reduce household electricity usage. So even if your rate went up a little bit and your usage went down, your bill could be held constant or could go down. Um, and then there are also other uses of the revenue for uh, you know, demand side electricity generation or storage. So there's just a lot of things that could be done with revenue that could mean that the bill impacts are almost nothing, even if there were a rate impact. But finally, I think it's important to note that in the absence of Reggie and in the absence of the Inflation Reduction Act, electricity prices were on a sort of upwards trajectory. The introduction of the Inflation Reduction Act has pushed that trajectory down so that electricity prices are not rising as much or in some cases are falling because the Inflation Reduction Act is transitioning you know, the country to cheaper resources and then it's subsidizing those cheaper resources. And so really any change to electricity prices in Pennsylvania that relates to Reggie is very small relative to the change to electricity prices that's being brought about by the Inflation Reduction Act. So again, the next stage of Pennsylvania's participation or non-participation in Reggie is going to depend on what happens with this court decision and with the governor's position. As we wait for that next shoe to drop, as researchers, I'm wondering, like, what are you going to be watching for? What information uh, would still be useful to know? What, what questions remain unanswered at this point? Yeah, obviously, is what's going to happen about reliability issues at the PJM level. I think that's a big, big question mark and something to follow because any market mechanism that may shift right now, like the cost curve at PJM, in order to make some of these gas power plants more competitive. So that's something to be seen. And, and uh, this is a huge proceeding coming up. And, and we saw in the past, like, minimum offer price floors for a PJM. So I think that's that's something to follow in terms of what's going to happen in terms of reliability and whether reliability becomes so much of an issue. We saw like there has been very good developments in terms of accelerating the deciding of renewables and let's hope that gets effective in a way to accelerate the construction of renewables because that's going to be also key for this energy transition. And uh, if that gets sold, then the reliability is not as, as an issue as it is. It could be seen right now. Angela Pachon with the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy at Penn, Maya Domashek, Resources for the Future, authors of this report that we've been talking about today. Thank you so much for your time and your insights walking me through uh, what you found. Thank you for having us. No, thank you, Josh, for having us. As I mentioned earlier, this interview is the first in a two-part series looking at new research on Pennsylvania's prospects as a participant in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. 
On the next episode, we're going to drill down on how Reggie helps Pennsylvania ratepayers, who are expected to see lower electric bills than they would without it. And also on the nearly $1 billion federal dollars at stake under the Inflation Reduction Act. We'll have that conversation for you on July 21st. We post new episodes every other week here on Pennsylvania Legacies. You can find them on the PEC website, PECPA.org, PECPA.org. All of our past podcast episodes can be found there as well. You can stream them right there on the website or subscribe using your mobile device and take us with you. Never miss an episode. The website has much more on PEC's policy advocacy work focusing on energy and climate issues. We're also active in the watershed space, and we do quite a bit of work on outdoor recreation and trails. You can get caught up on everything PEC is doing in those areas and more by visiting the website at PECPA.org. That's all for this time. Until the next one, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. <music>